And now we take you to Evangel Assembly of God in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Well, happy Father's Day. I hope all you dads have gotten lots of cards and things like that. You know, I had a birthday a couple of weeks ago, and a number of you have sent me very kind birthday cards. A lot of them are serious. But I, I brought the funny ones, okay, because we really like the funny ones here. This one says, a birthday just isn't a birthday unless you get at least one card with a little cash inside. You open it up and it says, Brother Terrell, hope it'll be in the next card you open. Happy birthday. And this one, this one has a little, little teddy bear on the front. Everybody see the teddy bear? In fact, if I hold it like that, can you, Mr. TV Director, can you put it on the screen behind me? Is it up there now? Okay, good. It says, you don't look any older to Mr. Huggle Wuggle. Then you open it and it says, then again, he has buttons for eyes. So, huh, I love that. Well, this morning, we're going to look at Joshua chapter 7 out of the New Living Translation. And... Uh, we're in a series called Taking the Limits Off God, and I want to talk to you today about grace in our failure. Grace in our failure. I stand before you today as a trophy of grace, as a trophy of God's forgiveness. Because of my sin, I deserve eternity separated from God. I deserve death and hell see it was it was my sins that placed jesus christ on the cross and it was your sins too and I, i'll tell you what, what i've learned I, i've learned that there's never a moment in my life that i don't need the grace of god working in me I'm so glad that God had mercy upon me. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I called on the name of Jesus. And Jesus forgave me of my sins. And he came to live in my life. And he became, he made me a new creature in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 says, it's by grace that you've been saved. Not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of works lest anyone should boast. You know, I, I used to think that I was saved by grace, and then after I got saved, I was on my own. I was left to my own resources to live for the Lord. And, you know, one day I found myself facing a problem. Anybody here ever faced a problem? One day I was facing a, a problem. I didn't know what to do, and it was a huge problem. And I was talking to my friend, Pastor Dale of Shields, about this, and and I said, Dale, I'm, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. It's, it's like I'm, nothing's going to work if I do this and nothing's going to work if I do that. He looked at me. He says, Terrell, what you've got to know is that whatever decision you make, even if you fail, you're not going to fall on a bed of nails. You're going to fall on a cushion of grace. Amen. And when, that's, when, when he said that, you know, something went off in my heart. And suddenly I realized, hey, I'm saved by grace through faith, but I'm kept by grace through faith. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm saved by grace through faith, but I'm also healed by grace through faith. And I'm delivered by grace through faith. God's with me by grace through faith. I can get through this situation by grace through faith. 
It's not just for salvation. I begin to understand that God's grace is sufficient. The Apostle Paul was facing a very, very difficult time in his life. And he says, God, I don't know what to do. And God spoke these words to him. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. He says, but my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, most of us understand that grace is God's unmerited favor. But, but this Greek word charis not only means unmerited favor, but it means something that causes you and me to rejoice. Don't you love to receive news that causes you to rejoice? That's what charis means. That's what this, this word is translated grace, where he says, my grace is sufficient for you. It's news that causes you to rejoice, and it's because of a manifestation of God's power. And he says, my grace is sufficient. That word sufficient means to raise up a barrier. It means to, 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 to ward off an enemy. In other words, God says, my empowering grace in your life will, will actually put up a hedge your protection about you when he says my grace is sufficient for you here's what he's saying he says no matter what you're going through no matter how dark it looks no matter how bright it looks i want you to know my grace is sufficient for you my enabling power will bring joy to you the anointing of the holy ghost will work in your life and i will also put a hedge of protection that the devil can't even approach can you say amen, amen. hallelujah Paul wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 12, verse 1. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts. There's that word gift again that's translated grace in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, it's charismata. It refers to the gifts of the Holy Ghost. And what he's saying here, that the gifts of the Holy Ghost, that the anointing of the Spirit of God, that the manifest presence of Jesus comes into our lives and abides in our lives because of the grace of God that brings joy to our heart, that works in our life, that puts a, that puts a thorn, puts a hedge of thorns about us to protect us and to work forever. Because His grace is sufficient for you and for me, for his power is made perfect in what? I hope you never feel weak, but I suspect we all do at times. <laughs> and his power is made perfect in my weakness and in your weakness. <laughs> in Joshua chapter 7, the nation of Israel desperately needs the grace of God because the army has suffered their very first defeat at a place called Ai. We read about this, Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. But Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. Everybody say, violate the instructions. That means they disobeyed. A man named Achan had stolen some of these dedicated things, so the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. Achan was the son of Carmi, a descendant of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah. Now, what did that mean? They had violated the instructions. Back in chapter 6, God had given some instructions. He said, hey, 
Every city that you take, every nation you defeat, the spoils, the silver, the gold, the precious things that you find, they can belong to you. However, the very first city that you take in this military campaign is the principle of the first fruits. The very first city, everything in it is going to belong to me. All the gold and silver, everything that's precious is going to be brought into the treasury of the Lord. It's the principle of tithing, where we give God from the first of our increase, right? Not the last of our increase. We're bringing that first 10%. I know when, when, when we receive our paycheck, Kathy and I have talked about it. We write out our paycheck. Our, our tithe check is one of the first checks we write because we don't want to pay our other bills and then discover we don't have enough to pay our tithes because we're going to pay God. We're going to worship God. We're going to honor God, whether we do anything else or not. Amen. And God says, this first city belongs to me. In fact, in chapter 6, verse 19, it says, Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. Okay? Now let's go back to Joshua chapter 7, verse 2. So Joshua sent some of his men from Jericho to spy out the town of Ai, east of Bethel, near Beth-Haven. And when they returned, they told Joshua, there's no need for all of us to go up out there. It won't take more than two or three thousand men to attack Ai, since there are so few of them. Don't make all of our men struggle to go up there. So approximately three thousand warriors were sent, but they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events, and their courage melted away. Verse 6, Joshua and the elders of Israel tore their clothing in dismay, threw dust on their heads, and bowed down to the, bowed face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening. And then Joshua cried out, he says, O oh, sovereign Lord, Why did you bring us across the Jordan River if you're going to let the Amorites kill us? If only we'd been content to stay on the other side. Lord, what can I now say that Israel has fled from his enemies? Joshua is down. He's depressed. He doesn't understand why they've lost this battle. But in verse 10, God begins to speak to him. And he says, but the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Everybody look at me this morning. Some of you may be down emotionally, and I want you to hear the word of the Lord. Get up! Some of you may be feeling sorry for yourself. You may be focused on yourself this morning. I'm going to tell you something. Quit looking at yourself. Quit looking at your circumstances, and start looking at the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Come on, get up! Why are you lying on your face like this? Israel has sinned, and I've broken my covenant. They have stolen some of the things that I commanded must be set apart for me. And they have not only stolen them, but they have lied about it and hidden the things among their own belongings. That is why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. For now Israel itself has been set apart for destruction. I will not remain with you any longer unless... You destroy the things among you that were set apart for destruction. I will not remain with you any longer. Everybody say unless. Folks, that is a grace-filled word. Unless you destroy the things among you that were set apart for destruction. See, one of the things that I love about Jesus is that Jesus makes winners out of losers. 
One of the things that I love about our Lord is that he makes things right in our life so you and I can move forward in victory. He says, I'm not going to remain with you any longer unless you destroy the things among you that were set apart for destruction. Everybody look at me. Everybody listen with both ears. Hiding sin in your heart is serious business. Sometimes we think, well, nobody's going to be affected but me if I do this thing. Maybe that's the way Achan thought. Achan thought, well, I I, I see this silver and gold and this beautiful Babylonian garment. Nobody's going to be affected but me. But the Bible says that 36 men lost their lives in that battle because of Achan's sin. King David said this about his sin. He said, when I was silent about my sin, my bones began to rot. My bones literally began to waste away. There are daddies who think, ah, it's Friday, I just got paid. I'm going to stop here at the bar and have a few drinks. It's not going to affect anybody, but a few drinks turn into more drinks, and that turns into more drinks and they finally drink up their paycheck and they stagger home at two or three o'clock in the morning and they think well i'm not affecting anybody but me but how many of you know when dad comes home at two or three o'clock in the morning drunk it affects mama and it affects the children amen there are ladies and they say well my husband's not loving me he's not respecting me we don't have a good relationship so when her boss at works begins at work begins to flirt with her She says, ah, here's a man that's paying some attention to me. And they develop a flirtatious relationship, and then it becomes a full-blown affair. And she keeps telling herself, she says, this isn't affecting anybody but me. However, you know what? When a mama or a daddy is unfaithful to their marriage vows, it affects everybody. In fact, I suspect that a spirit of jealousy will come upon her husband because he will sense down in his heart something is not quite right. And for those children, those children are no longer going to do what mom and daddy are saying. Those children are going to do what mom and daddy are doing. Because mom and daddy are eating the sour grapes and the children's teeth are going to be set on edge. Those kids will likely become sexually active at a young age because mama and daddy didn't maintain their vessel in sanctification and in honor. And again, the wife said, hey, this doesn't affect anybody but me. I mean, it's my life. I can do what I want to do. But just know what Paul said. Paul wrote to the Corinthians over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. He said this. He says, I want you to flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. He who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. You see, the only sin that the Bible says is a sin against our own bodies is sexual sin. You say, how in the world does that happen? Well, When we sin sexually, I'm going to tell you something. You open yourself up to tormenting demons from hell whose assignment is to erode your own self-image. 
The devil will attack your self-image. He wants to topple your self-esteem. See, it says in Psalms, it says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And the devil wants to kill, he wants to steal, and he wants to destroy in your life. Not only that, but, but let me tell you what sexual sin does. It opens you up to sexually transmitted diseases. It opens you up to the threat of HIV infection or gentle herpes or syphilis or gonorrhea or some other kind of disease. Not only that, number three, it, it exposes us to unwanted, unplanned pregnancies. And then number four, it always makes liars and deceivers out of all of us. You know, King David, when he fell into sin with Bathsheba, the first thing he did is he started lying. He started cheating. He tries to get... um Uriah the Hittite, her husband, he brings him home from the battlefield. He says, hey, Uriah, go sleep with your wife. He's thinking, he'll, he, Uriah will never guess that the baby that she has is not his. But Uriah refuses to go down to sleep with his wife. In fact, he really, he really condemns David. He says, David, how can I go sleep with my wife when Joab and the armies of Israel are sleeping out in the field? So David tries it again. He gets him drunk the next night. He says, surely he'll go home and sleep with his wife now, but he wouldn't do it. And so David has him murdered in war. Here's what I'm saying to you, saints. Sin will take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And our sins always affect other people. It's interesting to me that 1 Samuel chapter 11 when it says that David had committed these sins against Bathsheba and against her husband Uriah the Hittite, it says the thing that David did greatly displeased the Lord. Verse 19 of Joshua chapter 7, it says, Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, by telling the truth. Make your confession and tell me what you've done. Don't hide it from me. And Achan replied, it is true. I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. Among the plunder, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 silver coins and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. And I wanted them so much that I took them. They are hidden in the ground beneath my tent with the silver buried deeper than the rest. So Joshua sent some men to make a search. They ran to the tent and found the stolen goods hidden there, just as Achan had said with the silver buried beneath the rest. They took the things from the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the Israelites. Then they laid them on the ground in the presence of the Lord. Everybody look at me. I'm so glad we read this story through the lens of the new covenant. I'm just so happy. And in fact, Rachel, it's so good to have you with us today. Rachel Wise has come all the way from California to be with us. I'm so glad we read this story through the lens of the new covenant because we've got a better covenant that's built upon better promises. But as you know, in the New Testament, there are examples of Christians who failed God. Did you know when Jesus was crucified? In fact, when he was arrested before the crucifixion, when he was arrested in the Garden of, of, of Gethsemane, the Bible says that everybody scattered. Nobody stood with Jesus. Why? Because they were afraid. I think about John Mark. See, it wasn't just the 12 that scattered. There were another 70 or 80 or 90 
believers that followed Jesus that were considered his close disciples. They may not have been part of his inner circle, but they were his disciples. And there's a man named John Mark who was wearing that night just a linen robe. And the Bible says that a soldier grabbed John Mark and grabbed him. And John Mark got out of his grasp and ran and the soldier had his linen garment in his hand. And so John Mark is now fleeing away naked. John Mark was the original streaker. Didn't start at a football game. I think about Peter denying that he was a follower of Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. And I think about the mercy of Jesus. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 32. Luke 22, 31 through 32. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. I thank God we've got the, 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 the book of Acts that tells us how Jesus used Peter to strengthen his brothers. Amen. Number three in Acts chapter 15, the apostle Paul had a disagreement with Barnabas and they were, they separated from each other. In fact, Acts 15 verse 39, Acts 15 39 says, then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. The contention, have you ever had a contentious argument with somebody? How many of you felt good after you had that contentious argument? How many felt like, hmm, I wish that hadn't happened? I wish I'd bit my lip. I wish I'd handled it differently. I, I really think it's the way Paul felt because Paul later wrote to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, he says this. He says, love is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily Angered, It keeps no record of wrongs. Now, I've underlined it is not easily angered. Folks, that is from the same root word that we found over in Acts chapter 15, verse 35, 39, excuse me, when it says that the contention between the two men was so sharp that they parted company. Paul says love is not easily angered. I think Paul was looking back on what happened in Acts 15. And he said, hey, you know what? I blew it. I didn't handle it right. I fell. Mm-mm-mm. Well, sometimes believers fall. But the question is, what do you do when you fall? I'm going to tell you, we can come to a throne of grace where we find mercy and we find grace. We find care. We find love and acceptance and forgiveness. I don't care how many times you've fallen. You know, after the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln looked at the North and he looked at the South and he says, I'm not concerned that you have fallen, but I'm concerned that you arise. And I'm going to tell you something. Heaven is not saying, oh, I knew they'd fail. I knew they wouldn't work out. I knew they'd fall into sin and not get back up. All of heaven is rooting for you. All the angels of God are saying, come on, you can make it. You don't have to stay in the squalor. You don't have to stay where you are. All of heaven would say they would rather us be like prodigal sons than repent 
than proud elder brothers who see no need for repentance. You see, the prodigal, he took his daddy's inheritance and he went to a strange land and, it was, and he spent it all up on wine, women, and song. Man, he was, he was blowing coke one day and he was drunk the next day and he had all kinds of friends. He had all kinds of prostitutes around him. He was doing everything he wanted to do. But the Bible says eventually he ran out of money and he had to sell himself to a farmer as a slave. And he said he couldn't even, he fed the pigs, but he couldn't even personally eat the husk that the pigs ate. And he says, how many of my daddy's servants have it better than I will, than I do? He says, I'm going to go back home. I'm going to say, daddy, I don't deserve to be called your son. Just make me a servant. And the Bible says as the boy starts coming back, that the father's standing at the door and the father's looking at him. Folks, how long had the father been standing at the door? I believe the dad had been standing there ever since the boy had left. It had been months and months and months and months and months, but the father never quit looking. And I'm telling you, God has never stopped looking for you. You may have walked with him. You may have talked with him. You may have had a great relationship, but now you've gotten into some things that you shouldn't have done. I'm telling you, the father has not stopped looking for you. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro over the face of the whole earth. He's looking for you, folks. The father was standing at the door looking, and in the distance he sees somebody walking up the road to his house, and he says, you know what, I kind of recognize that walk. I recognize the gate. And the boy comes in and he kneels down. He says, father, I don't deserve to be called your son. Make me a hired servant. And the father picks him up, and the father hugs him, and the father says, put a ring on his feet. (laughs) Put a robe on his back. The father says, my son that was lost is now found. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now, let me kind of just, let me just kind of wind this down because we're talking about grace in our failures. And obviously Israel needed grace. The armies of Israel needed grace. We need grace in our lives. You know, Isaiah, there's a, There's a a couple of verses in Isaiah chapter 49 that I absolutely love because in those verses, Isaiah shows us just how much God loves us and what his good plans are for us, even when we blow it. How many of you remember that during Isaiah's day, both Judah and Israel were taken captive by the Babylonians and the Assyrians? In other words, their sins were so great, they had totally turned around, turned away from the worship of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They turned to worshiping foreign gods, and their enemies came and plundered them. And when the Assyrians came to Judah, they not only destroyed the temple, they destroyed the walls. And so here are the, the people of God who've rebelled against God. They're now looking at the utter ruin of what sin has done in their lives. And look at what they say in Isaiah 49, verse 14. He says, But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me. Have you ever felt forsaken by God? Come on, be honest. Have you ever felt like God's a million miles away? That's the way they felt. They they said, The Lord has forsaken me and my Lord has forgotten me. Verse 15, now watch this. Look at God's response. He says, can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget. He says, listen, most mothers will never forget their nursing children. Now some might, some might. 
Surely they may forget. But look what he says. Yet I will not forget you. Now look at this. Look at verse 16. See, I've inscribed you on the palms of my hands. In other words, I've engraved you. I've taken a pen knife and I've engraved you on the palm of my hands. And look at that. He says, your walls are continually before me. You say, well, what walls? The walls have already been destroyed by the Babylonians. And God says, I see some walls in your life. You may not see those walls. You may just see hellfire. You may see ruin. You may see disaster. You may see depression. But I'm telling you that I see you in a walled city. I see you doing well. I see you prospering. I see you blessed. Here's what I'm saying to you. This is a verse you should, you should take and underline. And you need to, you know, need to incorporate it into your regular study of the scripture because when God sees you he doesn't always see just your failings he doesn't see where you fell short God sees your potential and God says I know my son I know my daughter they may be in the pig pen right now but they're not going to stay in the pig pen because I know the plans I've got for them plans for good and not for evil to give them a future and to give them a hope hallelujah I'm just telling you, your, your, your failures don't have to define you. Your failures can be a stepping stone and not a tombstone. And God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. A number of years ago, there was a knock on my office door. And a man came in, he identified himself as a detective with the Virginia Beach Police Department. He had a seat. And I said, how can I help you today? And he said, I need to know if you know this man. And he pulled a picture out of his pocket, an ID picture. I said, yes, I know that person. And I said, that's so-and-so. I said, I said, I've been concerned for them. I've tried to contact them. He says, that's the reason I'm here. He says, you were one of the last people to live a, leave a message on his voicemail. He said, this morning he walked into a shooting target practice facility. He rented a gun. And he took some target practice and then he turned it on himself. I knew he was struggling. I began to cry. Because I knew this man was struggling. And I'd had him on my heart and I'd been trying to contact him. And yet I was unsuccessful in contacting him. And here he went and took his life. I contacted his family, and his family lived out of state. They asked me if I would please go to his apartment and pick out some clothes for him to be buried in, which I did. Later that week, I held a memorial service for him. But I began hearing these voices in my head. You're the reason he's not with us today. You failed him because you didn't get in touch with him and I started to believe that I was guilty for that man's death 
Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something. Depression can come because of chemical imbalances. It can come from a lot of different ways. But one of the main ways that despair and depression will attack you is when you start believing things about yourself and believing things about God that are not true. So the devil, who is the accuser of the brethren, was telling me, you're responsible. It's your fault. And I believe that. I bought into that. And for the next three months, I was in a terrible depression. Kathy and I just moved into a a, a new home. It was new for us. It wasn't a new home. It was an old house. Needed a lot of work. We didn't have the money to pay anybody to help us. And so we had just taken the, uh, we just started stripping the wallpaper out of the master bedroom in the bathroom. Started stripping the wallpaper. And we took the big mirror off the wall. And you know what? That project just didn't go forward for about four months. I found it hard to get up in the mornings. I I didn't want to get up. I just wanted to sleep. Because in my heart of hearts, I was believing that I was responsible for that man's death. Kathy was frantic. She was praying for me. She was calling everybody she knew. She had never seen me act like that. I'd never been that way. I tried to read my Bible and reading my Bible is like reading a phone book. It just, it just wasn't, wasn't speaking to me. I tried to pray and I didn't feel like my prayers were getting above the ceiling. Kathy was on the phone with my parents and my dad was praying up a storm. But life wasn't changing. We had three little girls. I didn't want to spend any time with them. I was depressed. After several months went by, one Saturday morning I was in the shower. And I was trying my best to pray. You know, folks, when, 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 when the going's tough... Just start giving Jesus glory. Just start worshiping him. And I just began to worship Jesus. And I quit trying to, I I consciously tried not to think about myself. And I tried to give him glory. And I started speaking the scripture, even though I didn't feel anything. And do you know, as I was standing under that shower, I heard the Holy Spirit say these words, you're not responsible for his death. You are not responsible for his death. And I begin to say it. I am not responsible for his death. I love this man. I would have done anything for him. It breaks my heart that he chose to end his life. But I am not responsible for what he did. And by the time I got dressed, I went downstairs and I told Kathy. I said, Kathy, this breaks our heart, but I am not responsible. It is not my fault. I did my best, and my best was not good enough. And I want you to look at me. Everybody look at me. There are times in life, especially as you're trying to help other people, as you're trying to minister to people, there are times that our best is not going to be good enough because we're not God. But there is a God. <laughs> and He is faithful. There is a Jesus, and He is good. There is a Holy Spirit and He is good. Our God is a good God. We serve a good God, but there is a bad devil. Always remember that. There's a good God, there's a bad devil. And there was any time you start believing something about yourself that's contrary to the Word of God. Anytime you start believing that, hey, God has let me down. God did not come through. You're setting yourself up. For a difficult, difficult time. But I want you to know today, I can stand here and proclaim, Jesus is the glory and he is the lifter of 
my head. Hallelujah. Dear ones, Joshua, Joshua could not help what Achan did because Joshua could not make decisions for one man Achan. Achan runs into Jericho. He spots this Babylonian garment. He spots 200 pieces of silver. He spots a piece of gold that weighs over a pound. And he says, I want to have these things. It's because there is already evil intent in his heart. Evil intent is called iniquity. When you're intent upon doing evil, if you get the opportunity, the man got the opportunity and he sinned. 36 soldiers lost their lives. 36 women lost their husbands. Scores of children lost their daddies that day because of one man's sin. Here's the good news. God's grace is greater than all of our sins hallelujah god's grace is greater than all of our coming shorts god's grace he says i'll never leave you and i'll never forsake you and some of you you just been you just walking through the mully grubs this morning some of you you just been walking through some some things and you're thinking god's nowhere around god's not n- not even showing up but i'm telling you he is right here but you got to turn to him and get your eyes fully off yourself turn to him and say jesus i trust you i give you glory hallelujah glory to god hallelujah on this father's day i'm 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 gonna ask uh, josh come on to the to the keyboard if you will and i'm gonna ask everybody in the house to stand let's all stand up together and i'm gonna ask all the men in the house every man on this father's day you say "I, i i'm not a father it's okay you come on down. I want every man in the house to come and down here to the front for a time of, of consecration to the Lord. Every man in the house. Every man all over this house. Hallelujah. We never get to the place that we don't need God's grace. We're saved by grace through faith. But I'm going to tell you something. You're kept by grace through faith. You're successful by grace through faith. You're an overcomer by grace through faith. <laughs> what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? And there are times that you're going to feel the power of the Holy Ghost. There are times that you'll feel the fire of God, but there's other times you won't feel a thing. But I'm telling you, God is still on the throne. Jesus is still working in your life. Lord God, we thank you today because your grace is sufficient for us. And your power is made perfect in weakness. God, we come to you today. We come to you today, Lord Jesus. And we just we just yield our hearts to you. Come on, that's what I'm asking you to do right now, guys, all over this room. Just yield your heart to Jesus. Come on, say, Lord, I give you my heart. I yield to you. I give you the right of way in my life. I yield to you. I submit to you. Oh, Jesus, I want you to be the king and master and Lord of my life. Oh, Jesus, I give you everything today. I give you everything today. I give you what happened yesterday, and I give you what's going to happen tomorrow. Oh, Jesus, I come before you as a trophy of grace. If you've committed sin, just say, Lord, forgive me. Come on, just say, Jesus, forgive me. Lord, cleanse me. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and His church glorious. We love God, love people, and love life. And we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 10.30 and Wednesday evenings at 7. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee. We have fantastic programs for kids and youth and small groups to make deeper connections. And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.